welcome back to the Block Safety Podcast created by Foresight Consulting. My name is Aaron Simmons and I will be your host for the series where we'll be discussing health and safety as it applies to your blocks. I am no expert, but I'll be talking with experts and industry professionals and quizzing them on your behalf. Find our series on YouTube and Spotify. Feel free to follow us on social media. Let's begin. Today, we're going to be speaking with Sinead Campbell from Residence Line about leasehold insurance and civil liability in managed property. Hi Sinead, thank you for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you, Aaron. Thanks very much for having me today. No problem. How are things at Residence Line? Have you been busy? Yeah, super busy. It's been a crazy 12 months. I think with more and more people at their at their residence, you know, at their properties, I suppose more and more people have spotted more and more things that they need to get sorted within their, their blocks. So yeah, super busy. Excellent. So could you tell us a little bit about Residence Line and, and your role? Yeah, sure. So my, my role here at Residence Line predominantly deal with arranging insurance on behalf of managing agents or direct leaseholders on a day-to-day basis. I personally tend to get involved in more of the complicated risk. So the risks that might have particular uh, safety features, things like cladding, you know, if it's been a flood risk. And in terms of what we do here at Residence Line, we specialise in, in blocks of flats. We've been around for nearly 25 years and blocks of flats is what we do. It's, it's all we do day in, day out. And so hopefully, you know, we do come across as, as the forefront, the, you know, the specialists in, in this particular field. You deal mainly in leasehold, I, I suppose. So how does insurance differ in leasehold? And uh, are there any unique or specific risks associated with blocks of flats? Yeah, it's quite an eye-opener, actually, moving from a, a private sector into something like leasehold insurance. You know, it's, it's kind of so easy to see household insurance adverts. You know, you can pop onto some of the big sites and, you know, easily get a quote for your house. But the big difference with leasehold is there are usually so many parties involved. You might have the freeholders, you might have the leaseholders, there might be the managing agents involved, and then you've got the tenants. So there's lots of different parties with lots of different interests. And unlike, you know, a, a private house, you've got things like the common areas, such as the, you know, the hallways, the stairwells, who fixes the roof in the event of a, a claim, um, the things like the car park. So it can be quite difficult to understand, especially with the various terminologies, freehold, leasehold, RTMs. It's... It was quite an eye-opener actually joining this sector in terms of how difficult blocks of flats can be. So what were the common pitfalls when insuring blocks then? Again, when you're looking at blocks of flats, you are looking at those common areas. You are looking at sort of various different parties and their involvement. And generally, you've got a lot more traffic to site. So unlike a you know private home where you've maybe got four people that live in the property, you might have 15 flats, you might have 150 flats with people coming in and out of the building all day long. In terms of arranging insurance for blocks of flats, there are so many things that have to be considered. With flat owners, because certain things might have predated their ownership, such as if there's been a historic subsidence claim or a flood claim, 
Sometimes not all of the right and the relevant risk information is there in order to make a full disclosure to the insurer. So that's probably one of the biggest um, hurdles or pitfalls. And then the things that are sort of really in everybody's or, or on everybody's radar at the moment, the construction features, the modern methods of construction, things like cladding, fire separation, much more modern methods of plumbing. These all seem to be rearing their head quite a lot at the moment. Okay, so in what instances, if any, should insurance cover for major safety defects? With insurance, insurance policies often have a clause within them that specifically exclude defects. An insurance policy just isn't designed to cover for, for defects. In theory, an insurance policy is there to protect against the unknown. So, you know, an insurer will take on board lots of different risk information. Uh, they'll calculate the premium against unknown factors. If there is a, a known major safety defect, that would either need to be declared and factored into the way that the insurer decides to take the risk on. But predominantly, because the policies are written on the basis that they don't have any defects, the insurers would expect that they're rectified. So even if the insurers take it on it at the point of inception, there will be an agreement or an understanding that that safety defect is put right during the course of the insurance policy. Okay, that makes sense. So in what way would a leaseholder or resident's personal content insurance be likely to be impacted by, let's say, a safety fault? If we think about the previous question, because the insurance policies will often exclude defects, theoretically they could be uninsured. So the worst case scenario would be that the insurance policy just simply doesn't react. There could be a couple of ways that safety faults are brought to an insurer's attention. So it could be that a known safety fault is raised mid-term and the insurers could decide that they void the policy from the point of inception because had they known about it, they'd have never have taken the risk on in the first place. Or it could be that they take the risk on and then further safety faults are uncovered mid-term. As soon as the fault becomes known, there's a duty there to disclose it to the insurers and quite often it's at that point they'll either adjust or withdraw their terms. So known safety faults in simple terms just mean that they either won't be covered or your terms would be significantly adjusted. We're obviously talking about block management. So how would a resident, let's say that's you know insuring personal contents, how would they be you know, made aware? I mean, if, for example, there was a major safety defect which caused potential fire or something else and you know, their insurance company found out about it but they weren't disclosed at the time, I mean, how would, they, how would they find out about these major defects and be able to put it on their personal contents insurance? And if they don't, is it down to the resident's fault or would it be the leaseholders? I mean, what's the accountability there? It's difficult because, again, this is this is one of the, the big issues with insuring blocks of flats. There are so many parties that are involved. So personal contents insurance and the building's insurance would ordinarily be two completely separate things. Quite often with leasehold, you'll have your management company formed uh, and that management company will be responsible for insuring the common areas, the structure of the property itself. And then the internals of the property, anything that you'll take away with you if you were to leave, would often be sorted out on a personal basis. So each individual resident or tenant would arrange their own personal contents insurance. So if I pop that to one side for a second and think about the structure itself, whoever is responsible for having made the disclosure to the insurers are expected to carry out certain checks. 
So, you know, part of arranging your insurance, you would be expected to comply with certain health and safety legislation. So you should be ensuring that safety checks are carried out at the building. You should know what your building is constructed of. These checks would be expected by insurers so a full disclosure can be made. Um, quite often the responsibility would sit with the board of directors that have formed to either liaise with the managing agents or arrange the insurance on a direct basis. What you would generally have happen is an AGM would take place where I suppose the responsibilities are set out, the lease would set out each person's individual responsibilities and I would imagine that there's usually a reporting process so as soon as somebody becomes aware of a safety defect, they report it to the person responsible on site, who then has a duty to get it fixed and obviously make the insurers aware if it's something that couldn't be rectified overnight. So that would be the structure itself. Obviously, that could cascade down. So if you have a you know, major ingress of water due to a defect on the property, the contents insurers are going to ask very similar questions to the buildings insurers. At what point were you made aware of the issue? How did you go about rectifying the issue? If it's a, you know, if it is a genuine case of having not known that that issue was ever present, so you could never have disclosed that information, the insurers might take a, a lenient stance. But when it comes to arranging insurance or, or managing a block, where there are communal spaces, there are expectations that you comply with health and safety legislation. So it, it would be unlikely that these features would be unknown because you'd be carrying out your checks. You know, regularly you'd be down at site, you'd be doing walk-arounds, you'd be doing your inspections. So they often come to light quite quickly. So if there is a fire at a property with known safety issues, such as unsafe cladding, what's the impact on insurance? Will they be covered still or will they find it difficult to get insured in future? The big thing with the last few questions is this word known. So they're known defects. So if we take a property that has got unsafe cladding, um, let's say they have their EWS1 uh, tests carried out or their forms completed and it highlights that there's unsafe cladding on the property it's expected that there's a full disclosure to the insurers and the insurers will react to that information so if a defect or an issue is known um, the insured are expected to declare this to satisfy the policy documentation and wording so every insured has a duty to disclose the full material facts to an insurer that would include things such as cladding or construction information. And once that disclosure has been made, the insurers then have the opportunity to adjust their terms accordingly. It might be that, you know, when you submit a presentation to get a risk quoted, it might be that your statement of fact or fact-finding process doesn't really ask that many questions about cladding. And it will be an assumption that the property is built using standard construction materials and that there are no combustible claddings or linings and that will often be hidden within the policy documentation well I say hidden but it'll often be <laughs> within policy documentation that might be 12 to 15 pages worth of reading so it wouldn't be good enough to just assume that you know oh if I haven't been asked about the cladding or the uns you know the, the unsafe features I don't need to disclose it Essentially, if you're aware that there's something that might give rise to a loss, it must be disclosed. It is likely to have an impact on the insurance. 
they might make a decision dependent on how flammable the property is or you know how bad the defect is as to whether they wish to cover certain perils and quite often it is difficult to get these risks insured where there are no issues if it can be demonstrated that there is a, a plan of action so once you've uncovered there's a problem with the building and then there is a you know a project put in place to rectify those problems to make that building safe again then you're much more likely to get the insurers on board and whilst it might sting for maybe the first 12 months in terms of the premium might go up or um, you know the the terms might be adjusted once you've got over that hurdle and you've fixed the property and you've made it safe then you'll start to find that that has a positive impact on the market and, and who's willing to sort of do the insurance for that building moving forward. That makes sense. So you, you talk about known faults or known safety issues. So let's say that I, you know, didn't know about a safety issue, but actually I should have done, for example, I maybe I should have had a health and safety risk assessment, a fire risk assessment or, you know, cladding assessment done. Is that something that would come up? So, for example, you know, you're looking at, well, there was this major defect. Well, I didn't know about it. Well, you should have known about it. Yeah. And this is why it's so important to read the policy documentation and all of the supporting information. There are so many companies out there that might only collect 10 pieces of risk information and you can get a quote. And if certain information hasn't been disclosed or certain information hasn't been asked, then you might not think to check for it within your policy documents, but your health and safety and your fire risk assessment, they're two really, really good points that you make there. Um, because within a lot of the policy documentation, the documents will say you have complied with the fire safety order and you are compliant with health and safety legislation. So uh, a prime example might be if you have your electrics tested in the common areas and the electrics fail to comply. It's an expectation of the policies that that electrical testing is carried out once every five years, for an example, that there's always an up-to-date certificate and that any defects are remedied immediately. Failure to comply with that would potentially leave that block open to being uninsured. And it's so important to understand that even though it, you know, even though somebody might present a risk to me and I'll give a quotation, there are a series of, of assumptions that are made about a property. It will be assumed it's in a good state of repair. It will be assumed that it complies with all of the relevant legislation. And it's up to the, the property manager or the leaseholders, whomever is responsible for arranging the insurers, to ensure that they've checked that small print effectively and that they can properly comply with it. The more you do, in theory, the, the better protection you'll, you'll have or the better protected you'll be. Yep. So it's not a case of like, I mean, I think there's been a lot of people who have assumed in insurance that, you know, ignorance is bliss. If I didn't know about it, then, you know, I can get away with it. Or if, if, if I wasn't asked the question on my insurance paperwork, then I can get away with, you know, not declaring it. But actually, that's that's completely false. You, you know, if you know about something, you must declare it irrespective of whether there's a question or not. Um, yes. And you should do everything in your power to find out if there are any, you know, safety defects or anything else. Yeah, 100%. So again, I know I keep banging on about insurance documents and it's because I understand that they're, they're very lengthy. They're often full of a lot of terminology, um, you know, that not everybody understands or wishes to understand. And you can quite often, you know, if you're dealing with 100 insurance policies 
a year, they all look very much the same. They all, you know, they it all says the same kind of information. But there is um there's usually a big sentence or a disclaimer at the top of every insurance policy that relates to the insurance act. And the insurance act means that there is a duty to disclose whether or not you think it might impact the insurance, you should disclose it to your insurers anyway. They have to be given the opportunity to take into consideration the full and proper risk information. So what would happen in the event of a claim is an insurer will request a copy of the statement of facts. They'll go straight to the section um, you know, where it talks about, let's say, the construction features. And if it says that the property is not timber framed, and it transpires that the property is timber framed, they'll want to know why that information wasn't disclosed. Again, you know, if it says that you are complying with the fire and safety order, but you can't produce a copy of a recent fire risk assessment, why, why wasn't that done? You're not complying with the terms and conditions of the policy, which means that your policy could potentially be withdrawn all your terms could be adjusted or a claim could be avoided. So it's so important to ensure that you're adhering to all of the terms and conditions. That, that makes sense. So to what extent do high profile disasters have an effect on your industry and your clients then? It has such a huge effect. Um, I think I touched on earlier, um, insurance is, um, I suppose, a bit of a gamble. You're insuring against the unknown. So you'll give a series of risk features that an insurer can determine where they pitch their premium or what kind of terms they, they pop on something. So if I take, for example, something that's had a couple of escape of water claims in the last 12 months, an insurer could look at the risk and say, right, that's had a couple of escape of water claims. We would need to collect XYZ premium. If you take a high profile disaster, something that wasn't necessarily known before and wasn't sort of factored in or thought about now becomes known and it means that the market reacts to it and it takes action. So if we take the big storms um, and the floods from early part of 2020, there's a lot of um, property situated throughout the UK that had sat in known flood risk. Flood defences were then erected and it almost pushed the water into different sections further up the river or further down the river. And then areas that had never flood before started to flood. That then becomes known to the insurers and they start to consider that. Obviously, the, the most high profile for, for all of us in recent years has been Grenfell. Um, and that obviously highlighted the rapid way that the fire could spread up the building um, and it wasn't just the deficiency of the materials that were used it was what happened behind the scenes and the lack of fire breaks or should I say the fire breaks being fitted incorrectly and how those deficiencies in the construction methods have kind of sent a ripple now across the market and more and more insurers are asking for your EWS1 forms even if they're not above that certain height. Insurers, mortgage providers, everybody wants to know what the buildings are constructed of. And everybody wants to know, once you, you know, rip away those things that are on the externals, how does it look internally? Are those fire breaks in place? What kind of loss could they have if there's a fire? So 
it sends such a huge ripple you know it's it's difficult for property managers it's a really scary time there's so much responsibility sitting on their shoulders and that obviously gets passed down the chain to to the directors and the leaseholders who you know if you don't get it right if you get it wrong you make the wrong disclosure or you're not aware of of potential issues and there is a fire then somebody could could lose their life yeah well i mean i guess that has quite a high impact on the block management as a as a whole really and including insurance i guess you know there's a lot more work that now has to go in to ensure that a building is safe now that there are more known major defects so to speak so to what extent does poorly managed safety such as damaged asbestos or poor compartmentation have an impact on a block's insurance if you've had a fire risk assessment carried out or an insurer survey which quite often does or looks for similar things and it's known that there is no fire compartmentation, insurers will often struggle from a reinsurance capacity. And the main thing with insurers is in the event of a fire, insurers understand that the local fire fire authorities look to preserve life, not the building. So effectively, they'll want to get everybody out of the property, make sure that everybody's safe, which is obviously the right thing to do. But if the building burns, the building burns. So from an insurer's perspective, if there is no fire compartmentation, then the potential for loss is much, much greater than a property that does have fire compartmentation. So you'll often find that if, you know, if that fault is uncovered and not rectified, insurers will be much more selective as to whether they take the risk. What we're tending to find is insurance or properties over a certain value, insurers will request that they're surveyed. A surveyor will go out and attend um, and a surveyor will pick up on these kind of things and you're effectively already in a contract with that insurer and when that information comes to light, the insurers reserve the right to withdraw uh, or amend their terms. So had you known about it in advance of arranging your insurance, I suppose you could budget for it, make sure you get you know numerous different quotations, make sure that you can seek you know, the, the most competitive insurance premiums. If you place your insurance, it comes to light mid-term and it's a demand of the insurance policy that you fix the problem, you have a lot less turnaround. It's much more sort of panic station approach. It would pay in the long run to highlight these issues in advance so you have the widest cover and you get the best the best out of everybody that would be involved in sort of managing that project and making the building safe again. Why is it important for block managers to manage risks rather than simply relying on insurance? Have you seen a rise in personal injury type claims at residential blocks? I suppose, you know, if we think about everything we've discussed so far, um, theoretically, if there's defects, um, an insurance policy isn't designed to be a maintenance policy it's there to protect against the unknown so if you arrange a policy and you've arranged it you know you signed the contract or you paid the premium on the basis there are no known defects a defect comes to light it's not properly maintained then you're at risk of again not having any insurance cover um i think you know it's easy to assume that well i suppose You spot something and you think, well, if that gets worse, we can just put in an insurance claim for that. But the insurers have specialist adjusters and assessors that will take the time to find out 
you know, when did you first become aware of the issue? What did you do about the issue? How did you rectify the problem? Were we made aware? Those kind of questions are asked before an insurance claim is is settled. So it's it's better to kind of get to the root cause of the problem and manage the problem before it becomes such an issue that it's claimed for under the insurance, but it's repudiated, essentially not aid. If you think about it in the day-to-day, you know, if a director of a management company becomes aware of a broken slab or an uncovered manhole and somebody trips, slips, falls, injures themselves and nobody did anything to rectify this, the insurers might well look to settle the claim because a person has become injured. But if there is a negligent third party, then the insurers could well reserve the right to subrogate the costs back from that negligent third party. So again, if you're if you're aware of something, there's an expectation that it would be fixed. Granted, accidents happen, and that is what insurance is there for. But if you're aware that you know your property is in a poor state of repair, if you're aware there's a broken slab or uneven paving or you know timber balconies on a property that fall into pieces it's an expectation that something would be done about that. You couldn't just assume that your insurance policy will will pay out, yeah. And you can see the, the added value of a block manager because those block managers are there to help take all that stress and pressure away and sort of make sure that the the risk can be managed well. But it is, it, it's a battle, you know, it, it's a it's a balance. You've, you've got to find the money to make sure that the property is adequately insured and these things do cost you know, to have fire compartmentation sorted on a on a property might run into the tens of thousands. But if you're aware that this might become a problem, uh, then you can work with your insurers. Um, you know, you can you can work with your block managers. You can work with the relevant specialist companies to get from A to B in a safe fashion and ensure that you're not open to a huge amount of exposure. From that, I'm taking it that the insurance for the block would usually cover personal injury claims. For example, if someone did, you know, there was a slab or something that was broken and they fell over and hurt themselves, then, you know, the block insurance would cover that. And I guess what we're saying is that the freeholders who may, or the freeholders or the block management company who potentially knew about that but didn't do anything about it could be opening themselves up to civil claims. Yeah, correct. Spot on. And I think you know, sitting on the board of directors of a, of a management company isn't something that people get paid to do. It's a voluntary job and there's a lot of exposure. Um, you know, you're having to make a lot of decisions. There might be a, a board of six directors that are making decisions on behalf of 150, you know, leaseholders or flat owners. Um, it's important to sort of identify those issues, fix those issues, because, yeah, if it were unknown and you and you simply say, well, hopefully the insurance will pay out for that. If an insurer pays out £1.5 million, as an example, because somebody has seriously injured themselves, they're not just going to write the cheque and hand it over with, without having checked what measures were, were taken at the property. Um, you know, it, it's not that insurers will look to wriggle out of a claim because obviously somebody has been injured and if, you know, if somebody's injured, they lose a limb or their quality of life is affected because somebody has been negligent at the property, then that's where there is a huge amount of exposure, um, you know, and that's why it's so important to ensure that you're seeking the right professional advice on a regular basis. 
Yeah, so effectively, insurers are looking to make sure that every possible thing has been done to try and prevent injury or prevent harm coming to someone before they pay out. Either that or they will pay out and they will then try and pass the pass the costs on to the person who is negligent, I guess. So we've, we've been having a few inquiries from new clients who are reacting to their insurance companies asking for fire risk assessments and health, health and safety assessments. Is this something that you're finding to be the case? Yeah, well... Again, it's an expectation, really. Um, Many insurers will require you to have a fire risk assessment carried out once every three years. Now, a block of flats is a bit of an odd one. Once a block of flats has been built, it seldom changes. Um, You know, the fire risk assessment is really just looking at the the common areas. And so you'd potentially think, well, nothing's changed since we last had it done. We're kind of, you know, we'll not bother. We'll leave it for a few more years. But obviously, legislation changes very frequently. What happens in the market changes very frequently. So, you know, not just things like Grenfell, uh, student blocks. Uh, there was quite a high profile um, student development that had a large uh, fire claim. So, you know, anything anything could happen. And it's, it's quite important to ensure that those checks are carried out frequently and that you are regularly complying with the laws that are set out. So obviously, any time that a bill changes you're probably going to find a huge influx of people wanting to get an up-to-date fire risk assessment. We quite often see them carried out as often as annually, especially with those big, big blocks, um, you know, where you just don't want the responsibility sitting on your shoulders. It's much easier to source that out to a professional company that is qualified and can make sure that, you know, they, that they're carrying out all of the, all of the necessary checks to help minimise your potential exposures. Same with um, health and safety, although they might not stipulate how often you should have health and safety checks carried out, when the worst happens, they will ask for documents, uh, registers potentially, um, you know, what did you do to maintain that? How did you check that slabs were even? How did you check that the strips on the stairs were in good working order? So it's quite often handy to have a base document that can be followed and once you've done the hard job of having the assessment carried out it's a case of just sort of keeping it ticking over nicely and each year checking in and making sure that nothing has fundamentally changed and you've always got that register or suite of historic documents should an insurer ever request or ask for it. What risks can a block manager face if they underinsure their blocks? The biggest risk is, again, the potential of uh, of a claim uh, being refused or uh, a claim not being paid out. Um, One thing that quite often is is uncovered when uh, external uh, reports are carried out. So let's say uh, surveyors uh, attend the property are the needs to ensure that the value of the property is is adequate. Obviously, if the value is, you know, a million pound light, say it's underinsured by 20 or 30 percent, an insurer may well pay out the claim by that amount averaged out and deducted. So it might be that the claim is settled with 20 or 30 percent less paid out. Other areas where I suppose you could you could potentially class as, let's say, underinsurance in that the full risk information hasn't been delivered, so the insurers haven't applied the correct and accurate premium. Construction features is is a huge one. You know, if we uncover that a property is timber framed, but that's never been disclosed, the insurance premium might be half of what the insurers would have charged for that risk. It might be that the insurers take a favourable 
view and allow the correction of the underwriting to happen. It might be that they just avoid the claim and cancel the policy as though it had never existed. Roof construction, floor construction. There are so many elements that property managers need to be sort of wary of and, and careful with to ensure they disclose the right information, to ensure the insurers charge the right premium for the risk. If they haven't, it would be corrected when a claim comes to light or potentially corrected at future renewals and not budgeted for in any way, shape or form, which can often come as a surprise to the clients. Okay. So what type of information about a building does a block manager need to provide their insurance company? So an insurance company will generally ask a string of questions. It will often be the obvious questions. So number of stories, number of flats, whether the floors are constructed of concrete or timber. Um, many people don't realise that that has a huge impact on the insurance premiums. We've touched on things like fire compartmentation. A property with timber floors would be considered to be much higher risk from a fire perspective than a property with concrete floors. So if a property does have timber flooring, it might be crucial to understand how the compartmentation exists across a building. Obvious things like the rebuild value, the claims experience. There'll be maybe 10 or 15 key underwriting features, and then there'll be all those small print things that you might not have been asked about, but actually form part of your contract. So whether your property's got any defects, whether you've had any history of flood claims 25 years ago, whether there's been a history of subsidence, how frequently you have your electrics tested. So there's a whole host of underwriting features that you need to take every effort to ensure that you're accurately answering those questions and you're not just guessing. Quite often, a property manager will take a site on midterm or mid-year and they'll be given a handover pack and the insurance will just be sort of continued on the basis of what a previous insurance company knows about the risk and that's the wrong approach to be taken if you don't confidently know what your block is constructed of or the risk history or the risk information it's important to seek the professional advice to help you make the full and proper disclosure to insurers. Do you need to make content insurance aware that building has cladding? You'd need to make all insurers aware that a property has cladding. I'm not sure how contents insurers would react. Um, and I say that just because I don't ordinarily deal with personal contents insurance. But I would imagine that because the risk of loss is far greater on a property with flammable cladding that the risk to the insurers in terms of them paying out would be far greater and they would probably adjust their terms. I'd imagine it would have a similar impact on the contents as it would on the building's insurance. So thank you, Sinead, for joining us today. Um, it's been very insightful. Thank you ever so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk your head off about insurance. If you have any questions, feel free to contact Foresight Consulting. Thank you for listening.